All right. First Baptist Faith Family, how are we doing? Good. Wasn't that awesome worship? Hey, let's give a round of applause to our worship team. They, they put a lot of extra work in it for us, and we get to enjoy with them as they lead us to Christ in and through song. So we're thankful. We're thankful for you guys. Uh, so here's what we're going to do today. Uh, we are going to be talking about Matthew and the call of Matthew, and I'm calling this the friendship style, the friendship style or the interpersonal style of disciple making, interpersonal style of disciple making. Let's, let's just go quick review, quick review, right? We started this series with the Great Commission. Everybody say great. Okay, the Great Commission is where Jesus sends out his disciples. He says, go into the world, right, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name. We got the memory verse, right? You guys got it? Got it in your heart? Got it in your mind? Got it in your soul? Okay, so that was the Great Commission. But here's the thing about a commission. It's not just a command. He doesn't just give you this rule or this chore, but he says, go, and he's going to equip us. He gave us everything we need right now as a church to make disciples, to be a church that makes disciples. And every single person here this morning, if you're drawing breath, raise your hand. Okay, good job. Yeah. So all of us who are here who are drawing breath, we are uniquely equipped to making disciples. God has given you a unique ability exclusively to you. It's your personality to make disciples where you are. And so we're just going through several examples of different styles of making disciples. We started with, you guys who remember who we started with? Peter. Peter, the confrontational style where he stood up and said, hey, you all killed Jesus. That's a Pretty rough way to start if you want to, right? So that's confrontational style. And then we learned about Paul, and Paul is more of an intellectual type. He was confrontational too, as we know, but he was also an incredible studier of Scripture. And he, when he went to Athens, he used the, the uh, statue to an unknown God, and he read his context. You guys remember, read the room and understood who he was talking to, and he used that to share the gospel. And then last week, we talked about the blind man, right? And all of us, we found out, are just like him. Our testimonies start the same way. We start in sin, and we have to be freed or given spiritual sight again. So that's the blind man's testimonial. And today, we're going to be looking at Matthew's interpersonal style. So that's been our roadmap so far. Obviously, there can be a crossover of these different personality types. Some of you might say, well, I related to Peter in this and to Paul in this, but I didn't relate to the testimonial. This is, this is really for you to discover what is your unique style. What has God gifted you with to make disciples? Okay? How are we doing? You guys okay? You guys are oddly quiet today. Is everybody awake? Okay, I'm watching this. Yeah, I did. I like the the you're paying attention because you're nodding your head. And okay, cool. So we're going to talk about the friendship type. But here's what friendship requires. Friendship requires a high degree of intentionality. Intentionality. Can I get an amen? Intentionality means that you do something on purpose. It doesn't happen by accident. You did it because you planned on it. You worked towards it. You put effort into it. That is intentionality. You're going to hear me as I preach these next many, many years use the word intentionality a lot. Okay? We need to be intentional friend makers. 
And I want to give you an example. I have a good friend. Some of you even in here know him. His name is Tim. And Tim is really, really good at friendship. If there's one guy who is gifted like Matthew at friendship, he is gifted. See, he, you guys ever have that friend who just knows you? You know what I'm saying? Like he knows what you like, even if it's weird. Or they are there for you in those tough moments where you need a friend, you need a shoulder, and they know exactly how to console you. Well, my friend Tim gets me. And my friend Tim knows that I really like Nerf guns. Okay, I know it's a little weird. You're getting to know your pastor. Okay, I, I was a student ministries pastor for a lot of years, so give me a break, a little bit of grace here. I was really big into Nerf guns, and my friend Tim knew this about me. And you know what he got me? This bad boy right here. And I love it. Adults, by the way, Nerf guns is super fun adult style too. You know what I'm saying? Um, so, Corey, I know you and I can have some Nerf battles here. Um, but a friend is someone who... Man, goes out of their way. See, Tim bought that for me because he knew that that brought me a great deal of joy. Of joy. He's a friend who I could count on, who knew me, who invested in me, who is intentional. There's a lot of, uh, a lot of people who would claim Tim, and I told Tim to watch this, this morning. So, Tim, if you're watching, right, you're a good friend because I think there's a lot of people out there that would say, Tim is my best friend. You know why? He calls us when we forget to call him. He checks in on us when he thinks we need to check in on. See, he's, I've often said he has the gift of friendship. And so with that as an example, we want to be like him, and like Tim, but also like Matthew. And Matthew gets called. So we're going to be in the scriptures, uh, Luke 5.27. Luke 5.27. So if you got your Bible, go ahead and turn to the book of Luke 5.27. Luke 5. 27, and I can put that passage up. We're going to start Luke 5, 27. Make sure you get those Bibles open. I love to hear, did you hear those pages? That's a great sound. Or the warm glow of those devices. <laughs> 527, 527, okay. Let's read, this is the call, the calling of Levi. I'm going to read verses 27, um, just through 32. So follow along with me. After this, Jesus went out and saw a tax collector by the name of Levi. And we know that Levi and Matthew are the same person sitting at his tax booth. Follow me, Jesus said to him. And Levi got up, left everything, and followed him. Then Levi held a great banquet for Jesus at his house. And a large crowd of tax collectors and others were eating with them. But the Pharisees and the teachers of the law who belonged to their sect complained to the disciples, why do, you eat and, why do you eat and drink with tax collectors and sinners? Jesus answered them, it is not the healthy who need a doctor, but the sick. I have not come to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. Would you guys pray with me? Lord Jesus, I just pray that you'd help us to see from the life of Matthew. God, his response to you, Lord, was amazing. He turned straight to the people around him, his friends, those, those who were closest in his life, and he wanted desperately for you to meet them and for them to meet you. And so, Lord, we want to be people who are like that as well. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, so we're going to be going through three characteristics, three characteristics of friendship making from this passage, okay? Three characteristics. It's going to be person, place, and things, 
Okay, person, place, and things. We're going to be looking at the person, the place, and the things that this passage occurs. And with that, those of you who were uh, maybe my age and, and older, we had this really cool resource. It was called uh, it was called Schoolhouse of Rock. Anybody know that one? Okay, let's see if I can. I don't know if I have audio. Do I have audio, guys? We were going to test this. Let's see if we can get it up there to play. So here's a little video. I might not have audio. Oh, it's not going to have audio. No. It's okay. But it was, uh, it was nouns are people, places, and things, right? Person, place, and things. It's a really cool little song um, if they can get it up running. But if not, that's okay. I'm mean to them, and I didn't test this beforehand. Hey, by the way, give our audio people a, a round of applause. Our tech people, they are amazing. So, uh, person, place, and things. Let's start with person, okay? So we're going to start with person. Who is the person here that Jesus approaches? Um, this is Matthew, right? Matthew or Levi. We know from the other gospels that his name is Matthew and Levi. He's a tax collector. He's a tax collector. So let's talk a little bit about what a tax collector is. You guys know from scripture, who is a tax collector? He's a traitor. See, the Roman government would pick out people from the, local, from the locals who were uh, of, of the same nationality, and those people would become tax collectors, and this is how they made their living. So they would not only collect taxes for Rome, but they'd take it off the top. So they'd take a little extra, and this is how they made money. How many of you would love those people? How many of you love those people? <laughs> right? Tax, when we start talking about taxes, we grumble a little bit. Well, this was really offensive to the local peoples in Israel because they were seen, tax collectors were seen as traitors, complete traitors to their, to their people. So they would, they would tax their people. They would take off extra money from them. And uh, they were not well liked, as you can imagine. And so a tax collector, as you can imagine, he doesn't have a lot of friends, but other Tax collectors, dudes in the same situation, right? They probably hung out a lot together because they have a place of work, right? And a similarity there. And they were oftentimes on their own, mistreated. They were seen as the lowly of the low tax collectors. <clears throat> Sinners are not always to be around. So when uh, these were not guys that you wanted to be caught around, and, and so this is interesting that Jesus goes straight to the tax collecting booth. Here, let me, let me bring this passage up. I want you to see this. So after this, he went out and he saw a tax collector named Levi sitting at the tax booth. Sitting at the tax booth. This is important. So Jesus goes to the people that were viewed as traitors. Do you guys have difficult people in your life sometimes? None of us. If you can't think of difficult people in your life, you might be that difficult person. And that was a joke, okay? Don't take it too personally, right? So we oftentimes have difficult people, but Jesus goes to the difficult people. Sometimes those people are at our places of work, amen? Sometimes those people are in our homes, amen? All right, sometimes, but Jesus went to the difficult people. We need to, to know this as an aspect or a key aspect of friendship. Sometimes we should go to the difficult people because what they need is a friend. What if we, you know, what, what I tend to find today is most people go and try to be friends with people who are what? 
like them, right? This is what happens in church. We all like to go after, let me tell you about our, uh, we had a collegiate ministry for a lot of years. And one year it was like, we were, we were doing great. We had this great leadership team and we told our leadership students, go and pick somebody and you just go and try to disciple them. Spend this whole semester just pouring into them and investing in them. And as we, we had a meeting later on and we, they all came back together and uh, you know what they said? They're like, okay, who are you discipling? Well, Sally. Well, who are you discipling? Well, Sally. Well, who are you discipling? Well, Sally. Like, man, Sally has really got the investment at this point. And we went through the whole line, right, of, of students. And they were like, we all invested in Sally. And we're like, that's great. And, and Sally's loving it, man. She was feeling it. She loved being a part of the ministry. But everybody picked Sally. You know why? She was easiest. She was easiest. She was like our leadership team in every way. She was the easiest investment. See, I think oftentimes when we make disciples and we make friends, we just pick people like us. And you know, we're missing out. We're missing out on what God has for us. Sometimes God wants to put people in our life that are not like us. And we can be friends. Did you guys know we can be friends with people who are not like us, who don't like the same things as us, even the same football team? I know that's a stretch for some of you, right? So, but Jesus is doing something really important here. There's this passage uh, that tells us a little bit about, so Luke 10, 5. I want you to turn to Luke 10, 5. And Jesus is displaying for us why he went after Matthew 10, 5. It's this cool principle in scripture. It's called the person of peace. We'll call it the person of peace principle. It's kind of hard to say really fast. Person of peace, person of peace. But he's, a, he's the person of peace principle, okay? So 10, 5, Luke 10, and we're going to be in 5. And this is when Jesus is about to send out the 72. In verse 5, it says, When you enter a house, first say, peace to this house. If a man of peace is there, your peace will rest on him. If not, it will return to you. Stay in that house, eating and drinking whatever they give you, for the worker deserves his wages. Do not move around from house to house. And when you enter a town and are welcome, eat what is set before you. Heal the sick who are there and tell them the kingdom of God has come near you. Okay, so we, if you have a Bible, I want you to underline that person of peace. If a man of peace is there, if a man of peace is there, verse 6. Verse 6, see, Jesus is about building bridges with people groups who we don't all always have access to. You guys, all of us together, we come in contact with people that, that we don't normally see on a Sunday. Would you agree? Yes. And so we're constantly, as a church, we want to be praying that God puts people of peace in our sphere of influence where we can meet them and befriend them. You know why? so that they can be a bridge, a bridge to that people for the gospel. Does that make sense? And many of you are that person of peace. You're a bridge to your workplace for the gospel. You're Jesus's only connection to the people that are in your sphere of influence. Does that make sense? And so Matthew was Jesus's connection to the tax collectors. And what did Matthew do? Or sorry, yeah, what did Matthew do back in the passage um, Matthew has a big, what did he do? A great feast. He had a great feast. Let's see if I can get my pencil to work here. 
All right. He had a great feast in his house. And so Matthew becomes the bridge. Anybody ever heard of the term ambassador from scripture? Okay. We become, when you become a Christian, you become a relational bridge to the church. The church not being the building, but being the people, right? You become an ambassador for Christ, for which I am an ambassador in chains, Paul says in Ephesians 6, that I might declare boldly as I ought to speak. So Paul calls himself, well, what? An ambassador, an ambassador. And you guys, then we go to 2 Corinthians 5, 20 through 21. says, therefore, Paul calls us all, ready? We are ambassadors for Christ. God making his appeal through us. We implore you on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. For our sake, he made him to be sin who knew no sin, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. So Paul turns and he says that we're all ambassadors. The two words I've used so far are bridge and ambassador. You guys are the connection to the people around you. The uh, connection to the people around you. I want you to see, and we're going to get to place here in a second. So I'm going to keep going. Um, So in college ministry for a lot of years, at one point, we had every single international student on our campus coming to our campus ministry. You know why? Because we had a person of peace that was in our ministry. His name was David. And David uh, was, where was David from? Help me out. Brazil. Brazil. Right. David was from Brazil. And David just all of a sudden, he was super into Christ, super into what was going on. We were discipling him. And all of a sudden, we had all of these international students with us. It was awesome. We had people from Japan. Like, we had people from South Africa. We're like, we just had people from all over the world. It was cool. Isn't that cool that we, could, we, in, we invested in one person, David, and we saw all of these other people come and get invested and what Christ was doing. We got to share the gospel with a Japanese girl. And she said she believed the gospel, but her cultural context made it hard for her to, to call herself a Christian. It was all of these cool conversations came out of the investment in a person of peace, in a person of peace. And see, when we make friends, we want to be investing in people in friendship. Why? Because they may be a person of peace, just like Matthew or Levi was reaching out to the tax collectors. See, when we become Christians for any length of time, you ever noticed that sometimes you're not around non-Christians very often? You ever notice like your circle becomes smaller and smaller and smaller? Or sometimes, maybe this happens to some of you, maybe it doesn't happen to some of you, especially as a pastor. As a pastor, it's really, I have to be very intentional to meet non-Christians. Why? So I'm surrounded by you awesome saints all the time which is great, but we have to be intentional in being able to step outside of, uh, of this kind of isolation, this Christian isolation that we tend to have. That's where we've developed things like a Christian culture. We've got a Christian subculture where we have our own music. We have our own rock and roll. We have our own, we've become a subset of group, uh, group of people. We even have our own movies, right? So what, what does that essentially do to us as a culture? It isolates us more and more and more and more and more right? We become very isolated. And what does that mean? Well, it means that we become ingrown, like a toenail. We become ingrown, meaning that we're only around people who agree with us, and we're only around people who agree with the gospel. And how on earth, ladies and gentlemen, are, is the world going to hear the gospel if we're never around them? 
if we don't do life with them. And the key to that is to being a good friend, being a good friend to those around us, our neighbors, the people that we work with. Um, there's a real limitation today to the church that Jesus understood early on that it was going to happen to us is we get to this like pastor CEO model where the pastor becomes in charge of the church and then every evangelism, every event has to come through the pastor, right? Or has to come through the leadership. And so what the limitation of that is that the Bible really kind of goes out of its way to show that the everyday man is how the early church blew up. It's how they really got the gospel out into the world. Think about Paul in the book of Acts. Where was Paul trying to get the whole book of Acts? Spain or Rome, right? And by the time he got there, who was there? Christians, believers. The church was already in Rome. There was a church there. Like there were believers there. And so it's like the whole book of Acts goes out of its way to say, it wasn't Paul. Like Paul had all kinds of trouble to get there. And when he gets there, it's like, hey, Paul, where you been? It's like, I took the long route. I went through shipwrecks, like all this kind of stuff, right? And the church is like, well, you could have just, you know, like we could have stayed landlocked. The, the book of Acts seems to go out of its way to say that it was everyday normal person that is most impactful for the gospel. That's you guys. I want you to hear that my job is to equip the saints for the work of the ministry. This is in Ephesians. It's not to do your job for you. That's going to be really hard to hear. Like, what do we even pay that guy for? Equip the saints. See, there's an inf- uh, so there's highly relational potential for you where you're at, where you're at. Before we get to where you're at, you guys can make relationships in a closeness and in a genuineness and an authenticity that I can't always. So you guys can have friendships in a way that I sometimes can't because as soon as I mention the word pastor in today's culture, what happens? You know, it's like they just kind of tune out. It's like, oh, that's your job to tell me about Jesus. But man, if one of my coworkers comes up to me, see, you guys can be persons of peace, persons of peace, because there's an informality and a genuineness and authenticity. We see that. Where does So he has this big gathering, this great feast of tax collectors. And, and then the kind of the theme of the passage then from there on out goes that they were eating and drinking right? They were eating and drinking. Uh, So why do you eat and drink with tax collectors and sinners? So what were they doing? Well, there was a real informality. How many of you would have had a really hard time coming to Christ at a church, but it was instead somebody who pulled you aside and you met in their house or in their living room, or you met with them for a long time and they explained the gospel to you. See, I think this is the power of the gospel that we're missing in today's church. Because we expect people to just like flood the altar after the pastor preaches a really powerful sermon. And I think there's a more powerful means for the gospel to go out. And that's through you in your living rooms and at your places of work. And doing the informal things. When you go out to eat, um, the bulk of evangelism should happen where the hurt are. And most uh, are not in our church. There's a lot of hurting in our church, aren't there? But I would say that there's a bulk of hurting that are not here this morning. Would you guys agree? There's a bulk of people that, that just are not hearing the gospel, and we have to go, go, right? That's the great commission. So place matter, or so person matters. Let's talk about the place matters. Where did Jesus go? He shows up to the tax office. 
How many of you every day before you go to work, you're thinking, man, I hope Jesus shows up in my place of work today. We used to joke in college when we go into a really rough class that we'd throw in a Jesus grenade. And we're, we would, and, and we would basically that was we were going to pray that Jesus would go before us into that classroom. Jesus, would you go prepare the conversations? Holy Spirit, would you set me up to share your gospel? See, Jesus shows up at Matthew's place of work. What happens if Jesus shows up at your place of work? Where do you guys spend most of your time as adults? Students, where do you spend most of your time? School. Guess where God has you as a gospel-advancing disciple-maker? At those places where you spend most of your time. You don't have to go door-to-door. How many of you, the thought of doing that freaks you out? I think most people would say that they're, they're more of an interpersonal friendship style because they, they couldn't fathom sharing the gospel with somebody that they didn't know their whole story. They didn't know really, really well that they wanted to, you know, we kind of think that if we just build this really good relationship, then sometime we'll be able to share the gospel. That's more of your interpersonal friendship type folks. And place matters. I always think about when uh, I spent maybe three years at a juvenile delinquent prep school uh, as a case manager. And I'll never forget, for those three years, I would take my Bible and I would set it out on my desk. And every, every day I'd read a passage, and, and, uh, but I became known as the preacher man. I wasn't even a hired pastor at that point. But it was only because I set my Bible on my desk. And for years I did that until one time uh, my boss, he was this like very intimidating guy. I'm not going to use his name. What should I use? I'll call him Bob. Bob was a very intimidating guy. He was like the boss of the whole place, right? And I'll never forget the day that the boss Bob, boss Bob, throws open my door and walks in. And uh, he sits down on my couch, you know, crosses his leg. He says, okay, preacher man. I'm like, whoa, okay, what's, what's going on? He's like, I watched this thing on the History Channel called the Bible, and I need to know if this stuff is real. And you know what? I got to sit down with him. He had seen me for all those years, just quietly being a believer, right? And, and making friends and, and at my place of work. Now he knew, the whole time he knew I was a Christian, but now something happened in his life that brought him to me. And we sat there for three hours and I got to share the gospel with him. He's the most gruff, intense, like really inappropriate guy you can imagine. Was sitting on my couch and I was sharing the gospel with him. Why? Because place matters. Are you available for God to use your place of work? Students, are you available in your classrooms for God to use your time in class? I want you to see in that passage, I know I've been jumping all over, but Luke, that, that 28, leaving everything. Here's what I don't want you to do. Not, don't everybody leave today and just leave your place of work. We don't want a mass exodus out of work, right? But the principle there is that to Matthew Leaving everything, Jesus was more a priority at his place than his place of work than what he accomplished. Jesus was a higher priority. Is work still important? Yes, it's important. But our highest priority of going to work or going to school is to what? Make disciples to live for Christ at our places of work. And many of us get so focused on what we're doing at our jobs that we forget that a higher priority is the gospel, right? Uh, we know that the things of this earth will, will go strangely dim in the light of God's glory and grace, but we also have 
a passage where Jesus says, lay up for yourself treasures in heaven and not on this earth. Uh, man, guys, I've, I've sat down at too many older, older folks' uh, bedsides or around campfires and for them to say, I worked my tail off my whole life and totally forgot about Jesus. And said, I don't think I made the right investment. Brothers and sisters, let me save you that disappointment. Invest in the treasures of heaven where you will be able to enjoy them forever with Christ. And the things of this earth will actually take care of themselves. That's a promise of Jesus, right? And so our places of work, we want to be about Jesus. Sometimes that means we're going to face consequences because we are Christians. So Jesus really does care about where you work. We get to be a double agent, a double agent at our places of work. We're there to work and to make money and to do well, but we're also there to elevate the name of Jesus. And so what does that mean? If I'm at my place of work and I cut corners or I don't do a great job, what does that do for the namesake of Christ? It reflects poorly on the gospel that I carry, doesn't it? <clears throat> That's why I'm convinced that most people, when they go to work, they try to hide that they're Christian because it's just easier that way, isn't it? It's a little less complicated. But Levi understood, Matthew understood that his place of work mattered. I want you to see, I'm also going to underline here that he invited them all to his, his house. You see that? His house. See, Jesus, Jesus also cares about your home. That word house there is the Greek, oi, 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 I'm going to try to say this right, oikos, oikios. Uh, and it's like a flare with an A, oikios, is, is a Greek for household. At the time of Acts, one would assume that oikos, the root of the word, includes friends, employees, slaves, clients, coworkers, and relatives. People within your sphere of influence. If you come in contact to a person with a person, that includes your house. Well, we have passages in Scripture that say that the whole household came to, came to Christ, right? The whole household. Well, that includes the employees, the, the co-workers, the relatives, right? All of that would have been assumed to be a part of that word. And I think that applies to us today. If we become gospel sharers at work and at home and in our homes, like Acts 18.8, Crispus, the ruler of, synagogue, of the synagogue, believed in the Lord together with his entire household. That's that same word. And many of the Corinthians, hearing Paul, believed and were baptized. I think hospitality, and the lo- hospitality is the love of strangers. And I, I, we've talked about that a little bit. But a combination of li- giving God work and giving God your home, man, what would happen? if we had a generation of Christians that gave their work and their home to the Lord, I think this nation would be changed. I don't think politics is going to win the argument, but I think Christians being faithful with the charge that God has given them can entirely change a whole nation. And you see that, right? Historically in Rome, it took several hundred years, but Christians did this and what happened? Had some issues, but Rome became a Christian nation because early believers did this. And the last thing I want to leave you with uh, is things. So person matters, right? We want to be people of peace, friendship makers. Uh, We want to be, the place matters, that we want to be open to making friends for the sake of Christ in both our work and our home lives. And the last thing I want to talk about is things. They were doing what? They were eating and they were drinking. They were eating and drinking, meaning they didn't wait for pastor to set up a potluck right? They had people in their homes. 
I'll never forget, there was this guy in college who always used to text me, and it would be a one-word text. You know what the text would say? Hey, what do you do with that? It was like whenever he got bored, I'd just get a text. Hey, what do you want me to do with that? Right? But he knew that Shane was probably going to plan something fun if I text him, hey. Right? What if we became the people who did things? Instead of hiding in our homes or watching movies, what if we were the people that went out and did things, hung out with people so that we could make friends? We make disciples by doing things with people. And, and this is a really important thing for us. Like yesterday, for example, at, at our home, I w- sometimes I just like to sit at home and like watch movies with my kids. But yesterday there was a big public event, wasn't there? I saw some of you there, right? And it was like, oh man, I don't want, like I'm super comfy. Man, I got my jammies on. I don't want to get out. And Beck's like, we go, it's a great way to meet the community. I'm like, okay, let's do it. We go and we have all these amazing conversations. Sometimes just showing up and doing things is going to put you in contact to make friends. The, the, bring people alongside in the things that you love to do. Um, many of you have maybe noticed me driving around town with a side-by-side. Here's, here's a nickname I'd like to, to catch on for me. I'd like to be known as the side-by-side pastor because I just think that sounds really cool. There's a principle to relationship making, though, when we do things, when we get out there. So, so Matthew responds to Jesus by throwing this big party. We should respond to Christ in our life by doing things that invite people to do life with us. And there's a really important concept here. Um, Becky and I often do premarital counseling, and we love doing premarital counseling with young couples. And there's this principle that's, uh, that if uh, face-to-face, women like to connect typically face-to-face. Men like to connect shoulder-to-shoulder, typically. But you can do different types of dates. We call them different types of dates. Uh, face-to-face, shoulder-to-shoulder, or back-to-back. You can do one of those three in marriage. But did you know those can be tools for us to make good friends? Women, you're amazing. And this is generally, not all of us. You could sit down at a cup of coffee and probably talk for five or six hours, right? Men, we hit our word limit at like 100. And then it's just quietly sipping coffee, staring at each other awkwardly, right? But men, we're so much better. Like, dude, jump in to the side-by-side. Let's go hunting. Let's go hiking. Let's do something together. You want to build friendships. Guys, I hear this all the time. We have a generation of people who, uh, like, everybody's saying they're lonely. Isn't everybody saying they're lonely? Doesn't everybody? Everybody, you hear this all the time. I wish I had more friends. I wish I had more friends. Everybody's saying that. But what if we were people who did things that allowed friendship to kindle? I love breakfast, by the way. I think that's pretty side-by-side, guys, um, is when we get together, we do breakfast together. And we can share those things. But think about some things, guys and ladies, that we can do side by side, face to face. We need some people who are not waiting for somebody else to plan something, but to do something to create an event that's going to allow people to hear and come in contact with the gospel. Your life groups, by the way, are a great place for this. If your life groups do something in the community, let me challenge you. Guys, we have great life groups. Get involved with one of them but then spark the idea of getting out into the community, okay? So a couple of weaknesses to the friendship style, I think I've shared this before, is that um, friends can become more important than the gospel. We wait too long because we're so afraid we're going to offend, 
and ruin the friendship. I see this with students all the time. But what if it ruins my friendship? I don't want to ruin the relationship. I would rather put our relationship in strain and share the gospel, which is going to save them for eternity, instead of just be a really good friend for now. Does that make sense? I think eternity matters a little bit more. And if we were a really good friend, would we not care for their eternity? So, um, so that waiting too long. Never assume uh, someone is a Christian, even if they say they are. So I think a lot of times we're like, uh, we had, this is the conversation that we have with somebody who's a friend. Like, hey, are you a Christian? Yes. And they give us a thumbs up. And we're like, sweet, I don't have to share it. Um, but there are some crazy statistics, guys, that say that most people who call themselves Christians aren't. And we know that, right? You don't have to be around very long to know that a lot of people who call themselves Christian really isn't following Jesus. Really isn't following Jesus. So we don't want to assume that someone is a Christian, even if they say they are. We still want to follow up. By the way, what if Christians just shared the gospel with each other continually? That'd be cool, right? Have you ever had somebody like, I'm a Christian. If you share the gospel with me, I'm going to get offended. I've had that happen. Like, dude, I'm a Christian. I'm good to go. Quit trying to share Jesus with me. And I'm like, dude, I just shared the gospel with you. You should be like, amen, brother. Instead of, I'm offended that you don't think I know it. Our ears should get excited at the, at the gospel, the good news. And then uh, the other weakness to the friendship method is that we only share with the close friends, that we become ingrown. We only put ourselves around people who are like us. And that can make us an unhealthy subgroup. I always like what C.S. Lewis illustrated telling us that we know Jesus better when we read scripture with people who are not from the same background as us, because they're going to see things because of their experience that we're going to miss. We're going to know God better if we're not just around people who are like us. Did you know that? That's why the church should be very diverse. So what? I want to leave you with this. Make friends for Jesus on the Jesus got cut cut off there, but make friends for Jesus. Notice your surroundings. Where are you at? And uh, be noticing the people that need friends and go intentionally and be their friend in hopes that you could be a person of peace or they could be a person of peace. And hey guys, do things. I, I think we can call the pandemic over, can't we? Let's get outside. Let's do some things and put ourselves in a position to share the gospel, okay? Let me pray for you. Lord Jesus, I thank you for my brothers and sisters here. Lord Jesus, I pray that you would challenge them to live for you at their places of work, in their homes. God, and where they are during the week, I pray that you'd bless them big time with disciple-making friendships that would last all of this life and into the next. I pray that gift over my brothers and sisters here in Jesus' name. Amen.